One of the things that I most often speak with entrepreneurs about is the ability to calm and quiet the body and the mind. It's from that place of centeredness, of calm, that we make our best decisions, have our best conversations, are most able to be creative, do our best problem-solving work, and it's much harder than it sounds, right? It's so easy to say like, oh, just calm down. But um, most of us don't do that very well, especially if we are highly motivated, often on the go, our schedules are full. We got lots of things coming at us at one time. It can be incredibly difficult to know how to regulate the body and quiet the mind. Today's guest is an expert at helping busy modern people enter the age-old tradition of meditation. Emily Fletcher is the founder and CEO of Ziva Meditation. This is an online sort of meditation school where people can learn three simple strategies to help support a meditation practice. And Emily has designed this program for high performers. These are people like you and I who are running businesses, managing children, managing different parts of our lives. Emily's program makes meditation accessible to even the least Zen among us. She is just an incredibly gifted human and really, really fun to talk to. I trust that you will both enjoy and learn something from this conversation. Welcome to the Zen Founder Podcast. This is a place where we have conversations about mental health and entrepreneurship. We have a pretty broad conceptualization of what mental health means, sometimes depression, anxiety, sometimes relationships or physical health. The goal here is to bring some calm into the crazy roller coaster of ups and downs that is life for many entrepreneurs. I'm your host, I'm Dr. Sherry Walling. I'm a clinical psychologist and an entrepreneur, married to an entrepreneur, live in the world of entrepreneurs. And I'm so pleased that you have joined us for this conversation. So Emily Fletcher, I'm so excited to talk with you today. You are kind of here and there and everywhere in the media and are one of the, I think, most recognized experts, leaders, whatever fabulous term you want to use to describe the way that you are bringing meditation to the people in a really accessible, cool, interactive way. So Mm, thank you for that. I feel very grateful to be that. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I'm just so grateful for your time and for the chance to talk with you a bit about your work because I, you know, I work with a lot of entrepreneurs and folks who have high intensity jobs. They are on the go. Most of them have families, hobbies, personal lives, other things that they're doing in their lives and often are struggling to kind of center and be still And we'll say things like, oh, I tried meditation or I did this app or I probably should meditate more, but find such barrier to entry. Like it's just hard to sit down and settle, right? I'm sure you've heard that before. All day, every day. But you have this this technique called Ziva that I would love to hear about because it sounds like it helps to break down some of those barriers and make meditation really accessible for the like high-performing person on the go. Yeah. So I love that you work with these types of folks and 
Uh, that is what I specialize in. It is meditation for high performance because none of us are really coming to meditation because we want to be great meditators. You know, no one's like, you know what I'm going to do today is become a meditator. Like it's a tool, right? It's a tool to make you better at life, to make you a better parent, to make you a better entrepreneur, a better partner. So I think sometimes we confuse ourselves and we create bigger barriers to entry when we start trying to be good at meditation instead of using meditation as a tool to be good at life. And that's very much what I've done with Ziva. It's like, well, what are your KPIs here? Like, what are you looking to get out of this? Uh, likely it's more time, better productivity, better sleep, less stress, increased sex drive, increased immune function. Uh, you know, if we want to get really fancy, you can start to reverse your body age by somewhere between eight to 15 years. And so there's some exciting science emerging about what sitting quietly in a chair can actually do for you. But to your point, the big barrier to entry that everyone has is I don't, I don't have the time. And really what that suggests to me is that they haven't yet been trained in a technique that's giving them an ROI. Mm. right? Because none of us have time to waste. Our time is our most valuable resource. And so if you do 10 minutes of an app and you feel okay on the other mm -hmm. side, you feel a little bit better, but if it's not giving you a significant return on your time investment, then I would call that spending or even wasting time versus what my students report at Ziva is that for the 15 minute time investment that they make, they start to get back hours of productivity in their day. They start to shave off hours of sleep that they need at night. They have days less of sick days. So it's, it's a quantifiable and significant increase in available time. And so that big barrier to entry that most people have of, I don't have time, very quickly goes away. So there's but, this dramatic return on that investment. Yes. And of course, yes. people are like, okay, this is very, very much worth the time that I'm spending. Mm -hmm. so, so then probably the other barrier that I would hear is, I don't know how. Like, how do I just, how do I sit still? What do I do? Like, yeah. And, and the way that actually shows up is that people do it. I would even love it if people said, I don't know how to meditate because that would assume beginner's mind and that would put them in a space of wanting to learn. But because meditation is simple, people assume they should already know how to do it. And they're like, yeah, you just sit in a chair and close your eyes and clear your mind. And then they're like, okay, brain, shut up. Mm, sure would love a snack. Mm, snacks are delicious. I suck at meditation. I quit. And that's <laughs> usually the end of most people's career because so many of us are judging ourselves as meditators as how good we are at clearing our minds. And the reality is that the mind thinks involuntarily, just like the heart beats involuntarily. No one can give their brain a command to shut up any more than they can give their heart a command to stop beating. It doesn't work. So then people are sitting down and quote unquote meditating. They're feeling like failures because they can't clear their mind. They're frustrated. And then it becomes part of the meditation shame spiral. I know I should be doing it. I'm too busy. I can't clear my mind. I suck at it. It's another thing that I've failed at. And the antidote to that is really one, finding a technique that's designed for you and not a monk, and two, getting some training. Because it is a skill, even though it's simple, we don't want to confuse simplicity for weakness. The power yeah. in Ziva comes from the simplicity, but it is a skill. And if you have a bit of training in it, then it becomes like, oh, easy. And I'm getting a return on investment and my whole life is getting better. So why would I not do this? It's a no brainer. Yeah. I love that framing of the mind can't help but to think. Yeah. And so when we sit down and sort of like try to, to muscle through, stop thinking, stop thinking, like the sort of mean high school coach that we imagine from yeah. the football team, that we're, we're working against ourselves in a yeah. way that is almost like 
sort of doing violence to this organ that we so desperately need. So finding a method that's like, no, we're not working against our natural inclination. We're utilizing it. We're embracing it. We're, we're sort of flowing with it rather than trying to make it shut up. Yes, that's very well said. And and the thing is that thoughts are not the enemy of meditation. Effort is. Hmm. So thoughts are not the enemy of meditation. Effort is. And that effort is that mean high school coach that you're talking about. Stop thinking. You shouldn't be thinking that. You can't believe you're thinking about work. That was too many thoughts. That was the wrong kind of thoughts, which just creates more stress. So it's Ziva, your, your thoughts are not the enemy. You are allowed to have thoughts. The analogy that I like to use is that it's as if there's a party happening in your mind. And at this party, you are the host you're not the bouncer. And so you're hosting all of your guests and you're going to have a guest of honor and that's going to be whatever technique you're using. So if you're using breath, then it would be breath. At Ziva, we use something called a mantra, which is not a slogan or an affirmation. It's a meaningless primordial sound that actually goes in and de-excites the nervous system and induces this deep healing rest. So it's like the mantra becomes your guest of honor. You're the host, but then you have all these guests and some of the guests are going to be invited, meaning their thoughts that you like. I'm dating this new amazing person. I got a raise at work. I love cupcakes, you know, just whatever, yummy, delicious, fun thoughts. And then you have your uninvited guests, which are the thoughts that we don't enjoy thinking. I'm wasting my time. I have so many emails to answer. How am I going to make rent this month? Why didn't that person call me back? Uninvited guests. And in both cases, your job is to be the host and to innocently favor the guest of honor, not to be the bouncer and go and punching everybody in the face. Because the reality is those thoughts are going to punch back and they're going to win because the mind thinks involuntarily. So you describe the method as something that integrates mindfulness, meditation, and and manifesting. Mm -hmm. Can you like break that down for me? What are those What do those words mean to you in this context? So you're right. Mindfulness, meditation, and manifesting, these are the three M's of the Ziva technique. It's what I teach in the book and Ziva online and in our live courses. And where this gets a little confusing for folks is that most people are using the term meditation when actually they're talking about mindfulness. So Mm -hmm. most of the free apps out there, most of the YouTube videos, most of the drop-in studios are teaching what I would call mindfulness. So this is like anytime someone is guiding you through something, anytime you're directing your focus, anytime you're concentrating on something, I would term that as mindfulness, which is the art of bringing your awareness into the present moment. Mm -hmm. Beautiful, powerful, necessary. And mindfulness is very good at dealing with your stress in the now. Like, oh, I had a crazy day at work. I did 10 minutes of this breath thing on YouTube. I feel better in the now. Mm -hmm. Great. The meditation that I teach at Ziva is all about getting rid of your stress from the past. All that stuff that's been stored in our cellular and now we even know in our epigenetic memory, that's what Ziva's dealing with. It's going in and de-exciting the nervous system, inducing this deep healing rest. And when you give your body the rest that it needs, it knows how to heal itself. And one of the things that it's healing is stress, not only from today, like mindfulness, but all that stress from the past. And that's really where the ROI comes in your time. Mm. Because as you start to kind of close down those old irrelevant stress windows that have been burning unnecessary physical and mental energy, you start to have more energy, more time, more capacity for the task at hand. And and that's a product, that increase in performance capabilities is a product of you getting rid of the backlog of stresses accumulated in your nervous system. And that's really what we're up to in the main course of the Ziva technique which is meditation. So we use mindfulness, but as an appetizer, Mm -hmm. as something to do, as something to control, as a runway in to this deep healing, restful, surrendered meditation. 
And then once we finish that, we move on to the manifesting. Is that dessert? That's dessert. That's That's right. That's dessert. Yum. You got it. And and it's dessert because it's you using all of this time and energy to start to hitch this wagon up to your dreams. It's you starting to say, well, how much money do I want to make this year? What's my dream vacation look like? How much sex do I want to be having in a month? What's my dream friend group feel like? Mm. And, And when we start to ask these powerful questions, we start to get really powerful answers. And most people think that they're manifesting. They even think that they're praying, but they're secretly complaining hmm. where they're like, oh, why can't I lose this weight? Why Here's does she what I a- really want. Yeah. Or like, why does she have a boyfriend and I don't, you know, why can't I get this raise? And if you ask terrible questions, you'll get terrible answers. And so what we do is we start to train ourselves to ask the very simple question of what would I love right now? Because love puts you into possibility, it puts you into spirit. Right now, it puts you into present moment awareness. And we do this, we start to ask these powerful questions, but we do it right after the meditation where the right and left hemispheres of the brain have been functioning in unison, where we have accessed this source energy after we have flooded the brain and body with dopamine and serotonin. So we're feeling very fulfilled. We're feeling very confident, very capable. And we start to plant the seeds for our future from that space. And what I have found is that the combination of meditation and manifesting is so much more powerful than either one alone. Mm. You can meditate all day, but if you're not clear about what it is that you want very hard for nature to give you the thing. Conversely, you could manifest all day, but if you're not meditating and your body is riddled with stress, chances are you don't believe that you deserve those desires. Tell me a little bit about the the tone, the primordial, what did you call it? The meaningless primordial sound. Thank you. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as of right now, there's three different ways that people can learn. And one of them is face-to-face in person. One of them is online and one of them is in the book. And there are three different types of mantras or sounds that you would receive depending on if you're learning through the book, the online course or face-to-face. And that's on purpose because I can obviously give a different level of support and coaching to someone face-to-face than I can from those 60,000 people who have read the book. And so I made the online course a little bit gentler than what I do in person. And the book is a little bit gentler than what I do online. And that's by design. Because as you know, with an online course or a book, I can't guarantee that people finish. I can't guarantee that people continue. I can't guarantee that people haven't just had extreme trauma or are dealing with Mm -hmm. severe depression or anxiety. And the reality here is that because Ziva is creating a catharsis, a purging, a healing catharsis, that initial period can be intense for some folks. Yeah, And that's really my job is to help people through it and also to screen for, you know, hey, why don't you practice mindfulness for a couple of months, make sure you're seeing a therapist, and then we can start this catharsis. Mm -hmm. So anyway, the sounds, the mantras to your actual question, they're most powerful face-to-face. And this sounds like magic. It sounds like woo-woo, whatever, but it's not. There's a whole branch of science called cymatics, which is the science of sound. Cymatics is actually the visual representation of sound. But if you think about what happens in your body when you listen to a concert cellist, versus what happens in your body when you listen to nails on a chalkboard, you know, like just how those sounds create a visceral reaction in your body. The mantras are doing something similar, but it's happening internally. Mm -hmm. So these mantras are sounds and there's something about them that the body and the mind finds quite charming. And it de-excites the nervous system, just like listening to your favorite song or a cellist would. And when we start to de-excite the nervous system, we create order. And when we create order in the body, 
that's the mechanism that allows that lifetime of stored stress to start to come up and out. Like there's some YouTube videos you can watch where you, they have a, a sheet of metal and they'll place a blob of sand on it. And then they'll play the, the sheet of metal with a violin bow at a certain mm. tone. And then that blob of sand starts to take these sacred geometric shapes and yeah. patterns, or they'll just play music at a certain frequency. And again, the blob of sand takes the, they look like snowflakes or like yantras. And something similar is happening inside the body with the mantras. Yeah. And I, I mean, I haven't done a deep dive into the science, but know the, the world of trauma and trauma response enough to know that there's a lot of sort of cue and trigger that has to do with sound and different sort of levels of sound vibration and tones that can have different stress reactions in the body, especially a body that's carrying a lot of trauma memory or trauma mm -hmm. imprint on the cellular level. So just for people who are listening, who are like, I don't know about these tones, I, I just want to echo that there is is there's both science and then lots of historical practice of chanting and om and lots of different traditions integrate sound into healing practice and sound into relaxation practice. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm right with you. It makes perfect sense to me. Great. And I love that you mentioned om because that's probably the most famous mantra. Mm -hmm. And recently, as a, as a white Western person or a non-white Western person, you go to a yoga class and you maybe chant Om three times at the beginning mm -hmm. of it. It's probably the way that most people are familiar with it. Om, interestingly, is the mantra that contains all other mantras. It's the sound that contains all other sounds. And it's not O-M, it's actually A-U-M. It's Aum. And it's almost like an acronym for the whole alphabet because mm -hmm. the sound is going A, ah, from the back of the throat all the way M to the front of the lips. So it's like the whole alphabet is getting sung through that Om sound. It's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. The completion. And the completion. And it's actually the sound of creation. And so the mantras that we use were actually born out of that sound of creation. And interestingly, Om is, is now used largely as a monastic mantra. And so it's not really meant to be meditated on or chanted frequently by what we would call householders in mm -hmm. India. It's like someone who's not a monk, someone who has a job and a kid and a house. Because if you start chanting Om all the time, you might wake up more monastic parts of you. Yeah. yeah. And, and you still got to get up and make breakfast the next day. Yeah, right? You might need to not give away the deed to your house because <laughs> your kids need a place to sleep tonight. Sure, sure. What was your like first experience with meditation or how did you begin on this journey? Because you, you came to this world from the world of Broadway yeah. as an actress and performer, right? Yeah, I did. I was on Broadway for about 10 years and my last show was a chorus line where my job was to understudy three of the lead roles. And that means you show up to the theater with no idea which character you're going to play. Oh my goodness. So basically, yeah, you're in nonstop fight or flight. Even if you're not on stage, you're like, am I going to be thrown on stage? And that stress started to take its toll. After a while, I started having anxiety. I was actually having panic attacks, rocking myself in fetal position, oh, listening Emily. to Eckhart Tolle on repeat in between shows. And I was like, wait, this is not my dream. This is not as fun as I thought it was going to be. Exactly. <laughs> and so thankfully this, oh, and I also inside of that panic attack time, that anxiety led to insomnia. I wasn't sleeping through the night for about 18 months. Mm. I started going gray at 26, 27, started getting sick and injured. And it was confusing why I was living my dream and doing the thing that I wanted to do since I was a child. And yet I was miserable. 
And so thankfully this woman was sitting next to me in the dressing room. She was understudying five of the leads, including Cassie, if you know the show. And this woman was crushing. I mean, every song, every dance, every bite of food was a celebration. And I was like, I need to have some of what, what she's are having. You? Yeah, what are you having for lunch? <laughs> yeah. And she said, I meditate. And this is 11 years ago. So I rolled my eyes and didn't believe her. And then Finally, I was so embarrassed about my performance because, you know, standing on stage in front of 2,000 people in a leotard and a downlight sucking at your job is not mm. really that fun. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm so poor little Broadway star. But, you know, that fear of public speaking, Any that fear elite of- performer that's listening knows exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, because it's like when you're yeah. in, the, in the spotlight and when it's your whole identity and it's yeah. your voice and your body and it's, it just feels like when you're, if you're failing at your job, it feels like you are a failure when your sure. body is your instrument and when you care so much about what you do. So anyway- Thankfully, I didn't just roll my eyes at her. Finally, because I was so embarrassed, I was like, I have to take action. So I went along to this intro to meditation talk. I liked what I heard. I signed up for this four-day course. On the first day of the first course, I was meditating. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what that meant, but I was in a different state of consciousness than I had Mm -hmm. ever been in, and I liked it. And then that night, I slept through the night for the first time in 18 months. Wow. And I have every night since, and that was 11 years ago. Then I did not get sick for eight and a half years. I used to get sick five or six times a year. I went eight and a half years to not getting sick. Then I stopped going gray. I'm 40 now. I have like one gray hair. I was legitimately going gray in my 20s. I stopped getting injured, but I would say the most significant and dramatic change is that I started enjoying my job again. I got so much better at my performance. And so I just thought, why does everyone not do this? So I left Broadway, I went to India, and I started what became a three-year training process to teach. Mm -hmm. And then since graduating, I opened up Ziva. So we have a brick and mortar studio in New York. And then we created the world's first online meditation training, which is now called Ziva Online. Mm -hmm. And then the book came out in February and I've taught over 20,000 people to meditate. I think about 50,000 people have read the book. And so it's just been a really exciting time to take this lifetime of performance background, but now to use it, it feels very significantly help people, which is so fun. Yeah, it's quite a gift to offer people this really specific tool mm. alongside the just the belief that it's going to be very helpful to them and very accessible. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to meet you in person a few months ago and, and loved your intro of yourself as you talked about how you wrote this amazing best-selling book and are launching this sort of all of these resources for people and then, you know, had a baby all at the same time. And you're kind of, from where I sit at least, really embodying what you are, what you're selling or what you're putting forth into the world. And your book is of course called Stress Less and Accomplish More. And it's newly available in paperback, coming out in paperback this week. And yeah, tell me about the book writing process. Well, to be honest, it was very challenging because I'm such an extrovert and I'm so good with people. Like you could put me in front of any number of people with any amount of time and just be like, talk about this. And I'd be like, great. And it just flows out of me. No problem. It is when I feel most alive and happiest. Put me alone in a room with a computer and I'm like, oh, I have to clean my toilet for the 18th (laughs) time. Like I would love to do anything other than write by myself in a room. So the actual writing process was not my favorite, if I'm being honest. Yeah. But I just, what I, the way I solved for that is that I made it super collaborative. So I would have sessions with my team and I would have someone on my team be like, can I just talk these ideas out with you? Or I would, my my agent was actually very hands-on. She edited every single sentence of the book. So Mm -hmm. we were collaborating. So it was very, um, 
So it became interactive. That's what you needed it to be. Yeah. And I think that you just have to find, you know, creating something is hard for anyone. You know, it's hard work to make a baby is hard to start a company is hard to write a book is hard. Like there are birthing pains with anything. And so I think that the trick to that is how do you use your skills and even your weaknesses as an advantage, you know? And so I just, I found a way to make a solitary thing communal. Yeah. (laughs) Well, of course it is such a communal process, right? You're recording all of these things that you think and believe and have learned and releasing them to the, to the big world out there. But Mm the doing of it can feel so solitary. So it's, yeah. I'm, I love to hear that you found a way to make it as interactive as you needed it to be. Yeah. And then the, I wrote most of it when I was pregnant and then I had my only child. Uh, he was about seven months old, I think when the book was published. Okay. And so that is definitely my biggest accomplishment to date is, is launching a book while breastfeeding a child every three hours. Like it was not a joke. And, uh, you know, the, the book launch was a big deal. Like we had a big party in New York. We had a huge party in LA. I was on podcasts all day, every day. I was doing live streams. I was on TV. Like it was, we had a 29 tabbed spreadsheet for the launch wow. document. And so, which would be, I'd be proud of it, even not breastfeeding a child. But then on top of that, to throw in that time constraint, it, it just, it was great to really put what I preach into practice to push myself beyond stress less, accomplish more. <laughs> yeah. Beyond the limits. And you can't be stressed when you're nursing a kid, you no, know, cause like no. that stress goes into the milk, it goes into their energy. And yep. so I had to really be very economical and very clear on my priorities so that mm-hmm. I didn't burn out or get stressed. Now there weren't, to be honest, there were days that I was a little stressed, you know, and I was like, I'm a little tired. I'm a so little stressed. So you're human. Okay. So I felt a little bit like a hypocrite, but then I was like, Emily, this is a chapter of your life. You're allowed to have some extraordinary days in this extraordinary chapter. Yeah. That's amazing. Hey, what does Ziva mean? What oh, thank mean? you for asking. It's a Sanskrit word that means bliss. And okay. it's also a Hebrew name that means one who is radiant or kind. Oh, and since neat. bliss, radiance, and kindness are pretty common side effects. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great package. Yeah, thanks. So now that you are a mom, one of the things that sounds like you and your team have been scheming, and, and not because you're a mom, but also, you know, it helps give some different angle to this um, new project, which is to design some meditation courses that are specialized for children. So I know that's what you're working on for 2020. How's it going so far? What are some of the things that you're most excited about? Yeah. So we're deep in research and development right now. I was saying to you earlier, I just got off the phone with someone from Sesame Street. So the exciting thing is I think we're going to develop a whole character and puppet and I'm talking to puppet builders um, because it's such a unique and special way to be able to communicate esoteric or advanced concepts to kids, but in a way that resonates with them and that wakes up their imagination and playfulness versus feeling taught at or dictated to. And also would give me someone to interact with uh, because I I like to use my acting background. I think that's one of the reasons why our online course is so successful is I am really good in front of the camera, Mm -hmm. but to have someone to interact with would be new for me. Mm -hmm. So to have a puppet and a character, like that all feels really fun. So anyway, the idea as of right now is hopefully late summer 2020, it's coming out. And 
you have to move through, the parents will have to move through our current online training in order to unlock the kids' modules. And some people might be upset about it because a lot of people are like, oh, my kids are stressed and I just want to get something for my kids. But largely, if your kids are stressed, usually it's because the parents are stressed, yep. or at least that's a contributing factor. Absolutely. And you know, we as parents have to model the behavior that we want our children to see. And I think it's really important that the t- parents have a tool to decrease their stress and that also they can support their child as they're moving through the training. And there's some really, there'll be some fun family components that everyone can do it together. There'll be kids only stuff, parents only stuff, but the kids will, will learn all three components of the Ziva technique. They'll learn mindfulness, they'll learn meditation, and they'll learn manifesting, but in an age appropriate way. Mm-hmm. And I'm honestly still in research and development. So if anyone out there has like, I know this person you must talk to, or I have this great idea, or you should, you know, I'm open to ideas. So people can always reach out to me on social media. I'm just at Ziva meditation, yeah. or you can write the team, but that'd be awesome. Oh, I so love it. And I love that the parents have to do it first. I think that's that's absolutely the way to get buy-in. And I think, you know, so often it's easy for parents to be like, hey, go do this thing. And it becomes a parent-driven, like, go off and do it because I because I said so more than I'm owning this along with you and we're doing this together and we are going to make this investment in this way of being differently in the world because... I mama am doing it and you're doing it and we're going to learn together. Yeah. So my, my kids are musicians and they started in the Suzuki method quite young. And in the traditional Suzuki method, the child can't touch the instrument until the parent has learned to play the first couple of songs in the Suzuki, you know, Suzuki book one. So it's basically like twinkle, twinkle, little star, like 10 different ways. And so the parent has to learn how to hold the bow and learn what it feels like to hit the strings properly, learn how it feels in your hands when the string is reverberating against the bow in just the right way. And so that's what unlocks the potential for them to be able to support the child appropriately. And, and is so, that the thinking behind it? So that, so that the parent can appropriately support the child they learn first? Is that why they do they, it? It's because they're modeling it. They're mm-hmm. modeling what it's like to try to probably not be super successful at the beginning, but kind of try, try again. They're modeling mm-hmm. the whole like learning process. They're also modeling how you value an instrument. And then, and then yes, they're helping to tweak because of course playing a classical, like a violin or a cello, so much of it is about holding the bow properly. And you know, like these very tiny little tweaks in the structure of your hand or the way you use your muscles. And so you can't, you can't spot problems without having experienced it yourself. Mm. So anyway, it, I'm such a fan of that part of the process. Well, thank you for sharing that. that. I, didn't, I didn't know that about the Suzuki method. So how yeah. was it for you learning the instruments for your kids? Um, it was not easy. I am I'm really good at Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. I'm <laughs> the cello and the violin, and that is the entirety of my, uh, my string instrument ability. <laughs> <laughs> but that, thank you for sharing that. That's really helpful. One fun thing I will share is that a beautiful byproduct that I've noticed from parents meditating with their children around or just it being more of a family activity is that, you know, kids are naturally, and I think on purpose, narcissistic, they have to be in order to survive. And 
oftentimes a negative consequence of that is that if mommy's mad or if daddy's angry, well, of course it's my fault. Mm-hmm. You know, mommy and daddy got divorced. I, that, I did that. Mommy's sad. That's my fault. And so what, what kids learn from watching their parents meditate is, oh, mommy's taking responsibility for her own emotional hygiene. Absolutely. Mommy's taking responsibility for her own emotional happiness. And so I can see today she didn't meditate and she's a little irritable that's on her because she didn't meditate. That's not my fault. And then your kids start to watch you and be like, mommy, did you meditate today? And they start to protect it for you. Like daddy's a lot nicer after he meditates. So don't bother him right now. And it becomes this way of not policing each other, but protecting each other's experience. And I think for the kids, not taking everything so personally, which is I think hugely valuable. Absolutely. And a shared value within the family, right? Mm -hmm. That we Mm -hmm. value our minds and our bodies in this very specific way. And again, I think that there's, for me, kind of this like nightmare scenario where a parent is like, oh, oh, you're so grumpy, go meditate. And ideally mm-hmm. in our perfect moments, we don't want to say things like that to our kids, but hey man, I, I definitely am like, can you just take a break and get out of my face? And you don't <laughs> want the meditation to become part of that kind of narrative where it's like, you're bugging me, go do this thing. Yeah, so, I'd much rather the children police the parents and the parents police the children. <laughs> yes, but that shared buy-in, I think, neutralizes some of that, right? Mommy's got to yes. do it too. Daddy's got to do it too. Mm-hmm. And, and then another exercise that I, hopefully is useful to people, but I learned this from a few folks, but Dave Asprey, I think every night before he goes to bed, he asks his kids, what are three things they failed at? Mm-hmm. And then one of my students said to me, they do rose and thorn. Uh-huh. So they say like, what was the rose of your day? And what was the thorn of your day? Or some people call it pit and peak. I think there's a lot of different ways High you and can low, frame yeah. it. High and low. Like, yeah, yeah, what's one thing you enjoyed and what's one thing you learned from? Yeah. And so I think that's a beautiful, I mean, my son is not really fully speaking English yet, but um, <laughs> But I love 18 months, he's got some time. (laughs) He's got like 70 words, but incorporating that into a nighttime routine, like some breath work and some reviewing and some intention setting, like I think that can turn into really sacred, cherished moments inside of a family. Absolutely. And, you know, my kids are older. They're of the age where they know lots of words and use them constantly. <laughs> but though that is definitely part of our dinnertime ritual is, is high-low. And even asking, like, you know, what made you laugh today? What made you sad? What were these different sort of moments in your day that were punctuated by different emotional experiences? And my kids end up telling me stories that I wouldn't, I just wouldn't know otherwise. And certainly no child is deeply responsive to, like, how was school? Yeah. It's, it's just too easy to give a monosyllabic answer and not go deeper. But the specificity yeah. of those questions is so helpful. Your kids are so lucky. Oh, they might not say that, but <laughs> I try. I try. Hey, so thank you so much for chatting. And I just, you've been teaching 60 to what, 70,000 people this process. And I, I feel like at some point there's like a movable measurement of like Emily Fletcher making the world a better place. So thank you for your work and you know, the work that you and your team are doing. And I'm excited that your book is coming out in paperback. That way it won't be so heavy in my backpack and it will just make it much more accessible to, uh, to the world. So a legit concern is that the, who wants to carry a you know hardcover book in your bag? So, I got to be honest. We know in common so many wonderful authors and, you know, I go to an event and I have all these great books that I want to read and like four of them are just 
the hardback books are just so, so heavy. heavy. So <laughs> well, fear no more, everyone. The paperback <laughs> is available. And it's also, you know, on Audible and Kindle and like all those formats as well. But I am really grateful that you have had me on and I'm very grateful for the work that you do. And I'm excited to have more adventures together and to Yay. hopefully play together, collaborate in some way. Sounds lovely. And if people want to learn more about your work, zivameditation.com is the best place to follow. And you're at Ziva Meditation on Twitter and social media and those kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're most active on Instagram, but at zivameditation.com, you can find all the, all the things we mentioned, the book, Ziva Online, and uh, there's some fun live events coming up uh, in 2021. So stay tuned. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of the podcast. In the meantime, feel free to check out zenfounder.com for lots of resources about the kinds of conversations that we have on the podcast. You can get information about working with me, about maybe joining a Zen tribe. It's sort of like a mental health boot camp for entrepreneurs. We also have lots of content on our blog, links to resources in our courses and books for sale. So check us out there and we hope to provide anything and everything that you might need to make the entrepreneurial life a little bit easier.